0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter... At John Stolnes. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, I'm going to talk with John McMullen, who's the co-host of the Birds 365 show on Jacob Media. He also writes for Fansided's SI Now. I'm going to talk to him about a piece he wrote for... SI now about the front office shakeup the Eagles have undergone this year and what it means for them moving forward. He had a lot of uh, interesting uh, people that he talked to in the article about uh, what's been going on inside the Eagles front office. So we'll talk to him about that coming up in just a few minutes and get his thoughts on the upcoming season as well. The uh, Bradbury signing in particular. And um, I'm also going to go over here in just a few minutes, four teams that I think will miss the playoffs that made it last year. And then Four teams that will replace them in the playoffs that did not make it last season. We'll do that coming up here on this edition of Eye on the Enemy. Well, over the last couple of weeks, we have been seeing a minor exodus of players leaving the Eagles front office. A number of uh, front office executives, uh, player personnel type people have been leaving for other jobs uh and it's been it's been eye opening to say the least how how much it's been happening this off season it happens a little bit every off season but this this one in particular uh has been noteworthy and John McMullen who is the co-host of the Birds 365 show with Jody McDonald and he's also an Eagles writer for FanSided's SI Now wrote a story this week uh, kind of looking at all of the different people who have left and possible reasons why and what it means for the Eagles here moving forward over the next couple of years. And uh, he joins uh, Eye on the Enemy now. Follow John on Twitter at JF McMullen, by the way. John, welcome to Eye on the Enemy. How are you, man?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, John. Appreciate
1: it. Yep, it's always good to talk to you. Um, I've been on uh, John and Jody's show a couple of times. I'm going to be on again next week, but this is the first time John's been on with us. And I I thought it was a really good story. I've been following it kind of somewhat closely, but I typically – I think most Eagles fans also – we don't really follow the day-to-day machinations of the front office, and we don't know a lot of the names of some of these executives who hold positions in the scouting department unless they're really, really well-known. Like we, we, One of the guys we're going to talk about, uh, Andy Weidel, is a name that most Eagles fans have heard of, but a number of these other folks I had never heard before, most Eagles fans have probably never heard before. When you put them all together like you did in the story and you see the number of people that have left, it feels like they're hemorrhaging people here out of the front office. Um, so can you just kind of put this into perspective for us? How many departures have there been so far?
0: Well, I think from a fan's perspective, I, I, I think there's, the, as you mentioned, there's, there's the more high-profile names. And, and, and probably there's five you want to focus on. And that you mentioned one, Andy Weidel, uh, Ian Cunningham, and Brandon Brown, who left for assistant GM jobs with Chicago, New York, respectively, the Giants. Uh, earlier in the process, Catherine Raich, people might know, she was the highest-ranking female mm-hmm. uh, in the NFL. She she defected to go back to Cleveland, work with, not go back, but go back with Andrew Berry, uh, who she's very close with. So uh, that was one of them. Tom Donahoe is another guy people might recognize from the kerfuffle in the draft room over the Milton Williams pick. So if they remember yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. That was, that was Tom Donahoe. Uh, So those are the big ones. There have been a number of of sort of lesser uh, area scouts. Uh, T.J. McCraight, Sean Heinlein uh, left uh, or or more, probably a better indication, shown the door. They didn't want to leave. Mm -hmm. Uh, Casey Weidel, Andy's brother, uh, was uh, lower level, but uh, a bigger deal because of Andy uh, and that part of it. Um, So it is how I describe it, John, is it's pretty significant attrition in any year, but it's really significant when you factor in the GM still here. So in other words, if you fire the GM, uh, then yeah, you expect a a lot of movement in your personnel department. But the fact that the GM is still here and you see all the movement is a little eye opening. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I describe it as in a micro sense, you can kind of explain uh, the the exits and it doesn't look that bad in a macro sense. I think when you take it all, it, it does uh, uh, at least raise some eyebrows and raise some concerns, Um And maybe timing had a part to do with it. In other words, if Andy left a little bit earlier, maybe they promote Ian Cunningham or Brandon Brown, but the timing was such that they got legitimate promotions. Catherine Raish, as I said, is more that she wanted to work with Andrew Perry than anything else. Uh, So that's kind of understandable. So you focus on the two, and that's Tom Donahoe and Andy White. And I think it's ironic because for people that don't know John, Tom is kind of Andy's mentor. So okay. from my standpoint, my question was, well, if you wanted to keep Andy Waddle, why are you firing his younger brother and why are you sort of uh, moving on from his mentor? So that, mm-hmm. to me, is a clear indication the Eagles weren't um, – I, I, I'm not saying we're pushing Andy Waddle out the door, but they weren't concerned about him leaving. So that's the one yeah. where I would – would
1: focus on. Well, you, you mentioned the timing of this, that they might have promoted some of these other guys if, if Andy Weidel had had moved on a little bit earlier. The sense in reading your story and in hearing you talk about it right now is that it felt like an Andy Weidel departure. Maybe coming right and if they had a sense that Andy Weidel wasn't long for this job or the fact that maybe they didn't want him for the job and we don't know any of that but we're kind of reading tea leaves here as far as all this is concerned why it would have made sense to me for Howie Roseman to just say okay. You don't want to be here and and or we don't feel like we can have you here any longer. The dynamics or whatever it is that's been going on just aren't working. so let's make a clean break now and let's promote somebody from in from from underneath to 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 take that position the way it shook out, it's like you're saying these, all these other guys left and now you have Andy Weidel leaving and it's unclear exactly who inside the organization would be worthy of moving up and and taking that spot. So, I mean, did they, do you get the sense that they knew that this was coming with Andy Weidel?
0: Yeah, I do because I think, I think the relationship was a little bit fractured. So if you look back and, and, and sort of in hindsight now that Andy has actually left, um, you know he was ill uh for his pre-draft press availability and you know maybe it's oxym's razor and that's the simplest explanation is often the correct one maybe he was just sick um, but you know it's not like andy to miss that type of of um, uh, type of setup and and he he understands the value of of getting his point across to the media uh so that raised a few eyebrows and then at at the each day's draft availability after uh, the Eagles were done, you know, Andy looked yeah. like he'd rather be a, anywhere in the world. And then, yeah. you know, uh, after, which is part that people can't see is uh, after day three and everything was done and uh, we were off to the side and I was uh, talking to Andy a little bit and said goodbye. Hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know if it were, uh, just, hey, I'll see you next year because we don't get a lot of access to the personnel in the scouting department. Or, you know, hey, I'm out of here. Right. Um, and, 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 and again, in hindsight, it's just a little bit of strange is the way I would describe it. And, and from the Eagles standpoint, look, I, I think Howie Roseman, if you go back and I call it Howie 1.0 and Howie 2.0, and the knock against uh, Howie Roseman the original version before Chip Kelly won his power play, the knock on Howie Roseman was he didn't play well with others. There were mm-hmm. a lot of times he didn't get along with others in, in the personnel department. And that was fair. That was completely true. And you talked to Lewis Reddick about it and Andy Reid about it, I, I, as high as that level. But mm-hmm. uh, there did seem to be a sense that things had improved in Howie 2.0. And now some of those same questions are are being raised, and I I think rightfully so. But from Howie's perspective, I think he looks at it as my name is on these picks. And right or wrong, um, he would like to be the one making the final decision. And from his perspective, too often, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, Jalen Rager, he was deferring to others. And he would prefer if he's going to get you know what for those types of picks. Yeah. he would prefer to be the one putting the stamp of approval.
1: On. Yeah, if you're going to get credit for if you're going to get credit or not for making the meal, then you should at least be the one cooking it. I guess to kind of borrow Bill, Par- Bill Parcells' old phrase and, and <laughs> repurpose it a little bit. I, I think the reaction has been interesting. You quote an NFL executive who basically called it a disaster for, in one six-month period, to lose all of these pieces. How did this, um, what else did this executive have to say about how quickly all of these different things are happening?
0: Well, anytime you lose your three top scouts, that's what the Eagles have done, essentially. And and you can argue with Tom, uh, Tom Toneho, there are four top scouts, because I think people don't realize Tom is, you know, sort of, you go back to 2016, for instance, former GM in this league, he was sort of the guy that's, yeah, he's 75 years old. He's been around for a very long time. Uh, but he would kind of save the Eagles. When somebody left or got promoted, then Tom would step in and do the job, and they knew they had somebody who's basically a legend mm-hmm. in the scouting part of the game to lean on. Yeah. So I would add him to that, that equation as well. So you lose arguably your four top scouts, in one off season and now you got to repopulate the department and there's going to be some uh, promotions. Uh, Alan Wolking, who who's, uh, you know, and and, and Phil Baya who have been the two Southeastern scouts. So if you think about Alabama and Georgia and you think about Devonte Smith and uh, Landon Dickerson, now you have Jordan Davis, N'Kobe Dean. Those are the guys sort of, not that it's difficult to find those players, but they're getting credit for, for scouting and, and, and doing that kind of, work uh and they're going to get promoted uh but as far as the top of the department you know morocco brown a lot of people in this league thought he was going to be brought in he was the scouts uh uh uh, uh, one of the top scouts with the colts and for whatever reason that went off the rails and it looks like it's not going to happen brandon hunt ultimately there might be a trade Uh, He he coming from Pittsburgh, Andy going to Pittsburgh, Mm. and he might take over Andy's job. Um, But the Eagles are going to announce all these decisions at once. That's how they typically do this. I wouldn't be surprised if Brandon Hunt is is the guy uh, to sort of run the scouting department. Then you're going to have a bunch of promotions. And the Eagles have brought in some other guys, uh, Charles Walls, Uh, there's Jordan Tyson. Matt Russell's coming back. For people that remember him, he was an Eagle Scout before, had been out in Denver. So a lot of moving parts. And anytime, you're right, John, because we all know players, we all know coaches, but you generally don't know the scouts. Yeah. And they're really, really important. And it's sort of one of those outside the margins that Jeffrey Lurie always talks about and he always brags about the Eagles front office and rightfully so because they get pilfered on on a regular basis Uh, but you can't brag about it and then on on the back end of that say it's not that big of a deal it is a big deal
1: so I think it's interesting that this is all going on as Roseman has had what I think just about everyone would agree is an objectively awesome offseason. Uh, the Eagles are much improved. It appears on paper for 2022 than they were in 2021. How has he been able to put together the kind of offseason that he has as all of these changes were taking place? Did all these guys basically do all this work months before and their work had kind of been done as they were leaving?
0: Yeah, I mean, as far as, uh, you know, we typically think of the NFL as being, you know, uh, season to season. Really, the scouting department, it's draft to draft. So they're on a different calendar because uh, the, the contracts, for instance, if your contract is going to run out, uh, they run out in in, in in basically early May after the draft, whereas a, a player, uh, his contract runs out at the start of the new new league year. Coaches get fired, obviously, in January. So it's a little bit uh, of a different calendar, uh, and, and that affects it. But, yeah, these guys work year-round, and they're already started on the 2023 draft, right? and, and that's what you do. And, and And sort of that part is, yeah, they did a lot of the work. And one thing Howie was concerned about, especially with Brandon Brown, because he went to the Giants, and he was such a high-ranking executive with the Eagles, he knew what the Eagles liked. He knew what they planned. He knew Mm -hmm. what players they were interested in. So he's a little upset about that. And if you remember, John, uh, the Eagles were one of the teams that were pushing for a change with what is called by the league secondary football executives. And they got that rule change passed because of what happened this year to them. And guys uh, guys like Brandon Brown, Or leaving for secondary jobs, in other words, not GMs, but assistant GMs, they're going to have to wait until after the draft moving forward.
1: Right. The Eagles wanted to make sure that all those different moves didn't happen as teams were getting ready to draft and were preparing for all that uh, to give another team a competitive advantage. I I had forgotten about that, but that is an important point to note here. So uh, last thing on this particular uh, topic, how difficult will it be to rebuild this staff now?
0: Uh, I, I think, you know, the Eagles take a lot of pride. Jeffrey Lurie, as I mentioned, takes a lot of pride. They spend a lot of money. Uh, and, and one of the things we, all, we often talk about the salary cap. Salary cap is on the field. Off the field, there is no salary cap. So I often point the Eagles were I think 21 deep in the personnel department uh, hmm. before all these changes, whereas you would look at the AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals basically Duke Dobin and I joke a bunch of interns. I think they had six scouts. So uh the Eagles spend money uh uh in the scouting department and they will bring in good people whether it's Brandon Hunt uh but it takes some time and you saw it in twenty sixteen where things worked out well with Joe Douglas and Andy Weidel. Uh it does take some time uh to get them back up to that level. So that executive I was talking about you know, when you look at their ability to get uh, Joe Douglas and Andy Waddell in the building at the same time, it's going to be dip- difficult to replicate that right away. Uh, but hopefully some of these guys develop in the roles and, and, and it becomes that. Uh, but I think short term, it's fair to say it's it's a pretty significant hit.
1: All right, John, a couple things on the field before I let you go. The the Eagles uh, ma- made a big signing getting James Bradbury in the fold. It's amazing. James Bradbury is not an all-pro, but it, it really is, to me, incredible how I think everybody feels so much more confident in the 2022 season and the defense as a whole bringing him aboard because I think you just had so many question marks with that number two cornerback spot, no matter how much the, the Eagles were talking up a lot of their younger second-year guys like Zach McPherson and the like, but... Bringing Bradbury on board just seems to have given everybody a lot of confidence in the defense and the the team's prospects in in 2022. How how big a move was that for Howie?
0: Uh, I think it was a really big move, and I'm I'm surprised the Eagles were able to get it done. I I think the calendar helped because I think if he were cut a little bit earlier before teams had budgeted, I think he would have gotten more money. I think he would have uh, been able... Uh, to get out of the Eagles' price range, so I think timing helped. And, but you got to give them credit; they 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 jumped in. they took advantage of the situation. He's a really good player. Uh, I mean, he's a Pro Bowler. Uh, two years ago, uh, had a bit of a, a step back last season. But I, I talked to on our show, on Jody and I's show, Birds Three Sixty Five. I talked to Pat Leonard, who who covers the Giants for the New York Daily News. And I did not know this. He revealed that that Bradbury played through an injury last year. So you know that's one of those things where coaches really respect you to play through something like that, even though maybe you're not going to look as good as you typically do. Mm. And then you just look at the style of cornerback he is. Uh, he, he's a very good zone corner, uh, and he can play press, and, and 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 he's very versatile. That's what Jonathan Gannon kept saying how versatile. It, it's just you know you look at on paper with with Bradbury and, and Slay obviously and then slot corner of Honte Monix and and by the way people thinking the Eagles are not moving into safety forget about that. <laughs> that
1: yeah yeah
0: they think he, they think he's one of the best nickel corners in in football I agree with them on paper it's one of the best trios a, a trio of cornerbacks in the NFL. Um, And, yeah, you you mentioned all that love of those young corners. Uh, The old joke in the NFL is don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. (laughs) Right. They not only picked up James Pfeffer, they also uh, picked up Jimmy Moreland on waivers. That's right. Um, They didn't have a lot of confidence in those young corners. Conversely, they have a lot of confidence in Marcus Epps, and I think people don't realize that. So Mm -hmm. um, that's – you'll see by their actions who they have confidence in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know they were looking at some safety help during the course of the offseason, but clearly were not willing to put the finan- the, the financial uh, backing behind it that they did in the cornerback situation. So um, you're right. And, you know, the money talks as well. So last thing for you here, John, right now in your eyes, I think we have a pretty good idea what all these teams are going to look like as they head into the 2022 season. There'll be some additions in, you know, when they make cuts in camp and there'll be injuries and stuff like that. But I think generally speaking, what we're seeing from teams around the NFL is basically what we're going to get in, in 22 in your eyes right now, who's the favorite in the NFC East?
0: Uh, I still think Dallas is the legitimate favorite, but I, I think where it's, Uh, changed is the Cowboys have taken a step back and the Eagles have taken a step forward and I I think you can make a strong argument that as I would describe it two through 53 uh, the Eagles I I think might be a better roster Mm -hmm. uh, than the Cowboys now but you know the game's most important uh, position is the game's most important position and it's hard to say that Jalen Hurts is going to be better than Dak Prescott now can he improve to the degree where it's close enough that the rest of the roster can put you over the top yeah I think there is a legitimate chance that happens the other concern I have with the Cowboys is they have difference makers whether it's Micah Parsons on defense or or Trayvon Diggs, they have splash players, CD land, uh, Dak Prescott. They, they have splash players. The Eagles now have the potential to have those players. You know, we mentioned Bradbury. They already have slay. They have Reddick up front, Jordan Davis. The potential is that they could finally have those splash players and that would get them closer as well. But if you're forcing me, I I mean, Dak's a good quarterback and, uh, I can't say that yet about Jalen Hurts. I think he's better than Chris Sims thinks he is. Right. But I can't <laughs> say, I can't say he's in Dak Prescott's league right now.
1: Well, it's been a fascinating off season, and I think these two teams are certainly much closer than they were at the end of the of the twenty one season. And folks, make sure that you are watching Birds three sixty five uh, every day. John, how do people watch Birds three six the Birds three three sixty five show?
0: Uh, you can watch it every day at the Jacob uh, Media, Jacob Sports YouTube page. Uh, we're also going to have it uh, streaming very soon on jacobsports.com, so you can find it there. Just search Birds 365 every morning, 8 to 10. Yeah, it's
1: a fantastic show. I'm I'm going to be on next week with, with uh, John and Jody, so looking forward to joining them again. And you can find everything John's doing on his Twitter page at JF McMullen. John, thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy. I really appreciate it.
0: Hey, thanks, John. I always appreciate it.
1: Well, up next, four teams that I think will miss the playoffs in the NFL this year that made it last year, and then four teams that will replace them, teams that were on the outside looking in last season that I think will take that next step forward. We'll talk about that coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. So every year in the NFL, there are teams that missed the playoffs the previous season, teams that didn't do so well, or maybe teams that should have made the playoffs, but were just barely on the outside looking in. And they make a the leap the next season or they take a step forward in their progression and they make the playoffs. The Eagles last season were a team very much like that. And then there are those teams that made the postseason and for whatever reason, whether it's injuries, whether it's a hangover, whether it's just things didn't come together this season the way they did the previous season that failed to make the playoffs. And so I'm going to start off with four NFL teams that I think will not make the postseason this year that made it last year. My first team is the top wild card, and there are going to be two per conference, so two AFC teams and two NFC teams for each of these. And I'm going to start off with the AFC teams, and I think it's hard for me to wrap my mind around any team in the AFC West not making the playoffs, but I think one of those four teams will not make the postseason. And as I look at the rosters, as I look at all of the moves, and specifically as I look at the quarterbacks, the team that I think will not make it from the AFC West is the Las Vegas Raiders. The top wildcard team last year, they went 10-7. and And it's not because I think the Raiders are bad. They might actually even be a better team this year than they were last year. But you've got to look at what the other teams in the division did. And I, I do understand the Raiders traded for Devontae Adams. That should really help out their offense. But as I look at the quarterback position, even though I like Derek Carr a lot, I look in that division, and I think he is probably the least talented of the four quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes is incredible. And I have my doubts about the Chiefs this year, too, by the way. Uh, Losing Tyreek Hill is going to be a big blow to that offense. It could be the Chiefs that end up not making the playoffs. And wouldn't that be crazy? After, what is it, four straight AFC Championship game appearances that they would uh, not make the playoffs? I mean, that's kind of been, you know, we look back in Andy Reid and his four straight NFC Championship game appearances and then missed the playoffs in 2005. So maybe history repeats itself, and and maybe it is the Chiefs that fail to get back into the playoffs. But when you've got Patrick Mahomes, I just have more confidence in Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid in being able to cobble together a winning record and getting into the postseason in a very competitive division. I know it's going to be really, really hard, but I I just have faith in Mahomes and Reid as a duo. But I, I do think the Chiefs could be in line to take a big step back this year. And maybe that does mean not making the playoffs. But for now, I have them in. And I think you have Mahomes on the Chiefs. You have Justin Herbert on the Chargers. The Chargers really should have been a playoff team last year. Herbert is maybe the most talented quarterback in the AFC outside of Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. He's got, and the Chargers have just done a beautiful job of giving Herbert some more tools that he has. I mean, he's got more offensive line help. They've improved the defense quite a bit. And then you look at the Broncos bringing in Russell Wilson, a proven winner, and that roster has already got tons of speed. They've got a really interesting wide receiver group. I think they've, they've got one of the best secondaries in the NFL. I really like what the Broncos are doing, and I just like those three quarterbacks more than I like Derek Carr, who has yet to put it all together for the Las Vegas Raiders. And so, I've got, the, I've got the Raiders, even though I think they, are probably a, they probably have a better roster this year than they did last year when they made the playoffs. I think they will be one of the two AFC teams that will miss the playoffs that made it last season. Uh, the other one I don't think should come as a surprise, and th- this team is probably on everyone's list, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers, who went 9-7-1 and last year somehow. Through smoke and mirrors and an easy schedule, they they locked in the th- the third wild card in the AFC, but that was not a playoff team. The the fact that Chargers made it into the playoffs over the Steelers is pretty ridiculous, um, and so I, I think without uh you know without a a quarterback that you really can depend on, I mean you've got the the rookie Kenny Pickett there, but I, I know that he may not start at the beginning of the season, but there's, you know, Mitchell Trubisky, really, you know, th- that team's not going back to the postseason. They just in, you know, you lose um, uh, Smith-Schuster and, uh, you know, it's, it's a roster that, unfortunately for Mike Tomlin, who has been working miracles all these years, being able to avoid a losing record, I think this is the year it finally happens for him, uh, where Mike Tomlin finally coaches a team that finishes with a losing record. That's a team that's kind of rebuilding right now. And so I have the Steelers finishing under 500 with a losing record for the first time under Mike Tomlin and uh, missing the playoffs Two NFC teams that I think will miss the playoffs. This was harder for me because I think most of the NFC teams have kind of stayed the same. Uh, They've remained. They have still have competitive rosters. I think Um, I do think the NFC West, I think we overrated the NFC West a little bit last year and I think that we're going to see two NFC West teams fall out of the playoffs, and I think the Arizona Cardinals are going to be one. They went 11-6 and and won the first wild card last year, but I don't know what's going on with Kyler Murray. I don't like Cliff Kingsbury. I don't like how they tanked and cratered at the end of last season, and I worry about the, the carryover effect of that. What is this team's confidence level like? What, what confidence do they have in the coaching staff? What confidence do they have in their quarterback? I think Kyler Murray is very talented, but is he a winner? Is he a guy that can get the Cardinals through multiple rounds of the playoffs? Basically, the Cardinals made the, the playoffs based off of how they started the season last year, and hey, those wins count. Right, you get to the playoffs. Many of those eleven wins happened early in the season, but they all count the same. Nevertheless, I feel like the Cardinals are a team that's kind of on the, a downward trajectory a little bit. And I like the Cardinals. I, I I always kind of root for the Cardinals. They're one of those they were one of those sad sack teams when I started watching football in the late '80s and '90s, where you just you looked at the Cardinals and it was, it was like the Bengals used to be and the Lions are right now and the Texans and the Jaguars. Just, they were an also-ran, and they're not that anymore. They're, they're a fun team. I just think that I, they, I don't believe in the quarterback situation and I don't believe in the head coach, and they play in a tough division. So I think the Cardinals, who finished with the top wild card spot last year in the NFC, I believe they will fail to make the playoffs here in 2022. And then the other team I have is the San Francisco 49ers. Who, I love Mike. I love not Kyle Shanahan, not Mike Shanahan. I love Kyle Shanahan. I think he's a great coach, but they have a lot of uncertainty at quarterback too. Is it Jimmy Garoppolo, or is it Trey Lance? If it's Trey Lance, is Trey Lance ready to play? Is he ready to be a winning quarterback in the NFL? I don't know. I don't know that he is. You hear a lot of whispers and rumors that he may not be ready. And if he was ready, why wouldn't he have played over Garoppolo last year? I know the 49ers went on that run. They made it to the NFC Championship game. It was it was a great run beating the Cowboys and then and then beating the Packers. I don't think anybody was surprised. I wasn't surprised they beat the Packers because the Packers always choke in the playoffs under Aaron Rodgers. Um, but I don't know that the 49ers are built to win in this NFL, which is also one of the reasons why I'm a little concerned about the Eagles and their, their run-heavy offense. The 49ers just do it a little bit differently. And then I worry about, you know, what kind of an effect has the Debo Samuel stuff going to have? He doesn't want to be a running back. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be that type of player that he was last year that made him so dynamic. And if they lose that, if they lose that element, are they as good as they were last year? That was a huge matchup win for them last season. And if they don't have that, I don't. I don't think they're a playoff team. Now, I was looking for four teams that will make the playoffs that didn't last year. So in the AFC, I have the Raiders and the Steelers missing the postseason. So I think one of the teams that will replace them, I, I have two AFC West teams getting in that missed it last year. I have the Chargers, who were the first team outside the bubble. They went 9-8 and eight with Justin Herbert. That is, that is a team that is, I talked about them just a couple of minutes ago. They are loaded. They are ready to go on a run. They need competent coaching staff, they, and they need to believe that they can win. They need to have that belief that they're winners. And I, I think Herbert, I read a lot about him last year. I, I love him as a leader. I know he's a different kind of leader than you usually see at quarterback, but I really think he's got all of the tools to, to be like we've seen from Joe Burrow, like we've seen from Josh Allen, uh, Mahomes. I think he can be, I think he can play with any of those guys. And the Chargers have really gone out this offseason and made themselves a whole lot better. So I think the Chargers are going to be, I think they're a top five team in the NFL right now. And I have them making the playoffs as a team uh, that missed last year. The other team is the Denver Broncos, who went 7-10, and but dramatically upgraded at the quarterback position. Broncos are a team that probably could have had their record reversed last year. Been a 10-7 team if they'd had Russell Wilson. And that's kind of what I think they're going to do this year. They've got a ton of talent uh, other places. I think Russell Wilson is going to make players better. They brought him on board for a reason. He makes players better. He's still got a lot left in the tank. Before he got hurt last year and was playing through injury, Russell Wilson was as good as he has ever been for the Seahawks. And uh, I think if he's healthy, he will lead the Broncos to the postseason. So I have the Chargers and Broncos replacing the Raiders and Steelers as playoff teams. And then as we move over to the NFC, I have the Minnesota Vikings getting back into the playoffs under Kirk Cousins. And yes, I know... Kirk Cousins is no great shakes, but he's good enough to get that team to a nine and eight record, even a 10 and seven record. I think he's a better quarterback than Kyler Murray right now. And I think he's certainly a better quarterback than either of the, the the signal callers that the 49ers have. And I think the Vikings still have a lot of weapons. I think that's a decent team. Uh, They are unzimmerizing that team, which I think is important and get some competent coaching in there. And I think you could see a big step up from the Vikings this year. I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender. But I do think they are a playoff team. I think they are a wild-card team, a legit wild-card team. And Kirk Cousins, is, I think, gets a bad rap. He's not awesome. He does shrink in big moments. I love watching him fail in big moments. But he also does enough and wins enough to get teams into the playoffs. And he's got a lot of talent around him. Kirk Cousins and, and Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, that's a really good receiving core he's got over there. And I think the Vikings will be one of the NFC teams to get in. And now here's the long shot. Okay, so I have the Cardinals and 49ers out. I have the Vikings in. And I wanted to pick one team that was really bad last year. You know, like the Eagles were really, really bad in 2020 and then made the playoffs based on an easy schedule and low expectations. The team that I think has the opportunity to do that, and it may not surprise you because I think the guys on BGN Radio have talked about them a little bit. I'm going to pick the Detroit Lions that went 3-13-1 last year. I love their draft. Um, I I think of all of the... As I looked at all of the rest of the NFC playoff teams that failed to reach the postseason last year, I don't love Jared Goff at all. But the other quarterback situations in the NFC are actually probably a little bit worse than what the Lions have going on with Jared Goff. And Jared Goff has shown that when he gets, when he gets good coaching behind him and when he has some talent around him, he can play pretty well. He got the Rams to the Super Bowl a few years ago. So I'm not a Jared Goff fan. I don't think he's wildly inconsistent. The league may have caught up to him, but I, I, if I'm looking at one team that was really bad last year, that could make a leap, I look at the Lions because every game they played last year was close. They were in every game. I think they beat the spread. I think there was something like, uh, what was it, a, a, a 11 and six against the spread or something like that. Like they, they just defied expectations all season long. And and I love their coach. I think they've, I think they've got a new culture there. That Dan Campbell has gone out of his way to change the loser mentality that has always emanated from the Detroit Lions, and there's always that sneaky team. There's always that team that rises from the ashes that ends up making the playoffs. I don't think the Lions are being a, are a Super Bowl contender either. I don't think they're a 12 or you know 11 or 12 win team, but I th- I think they can be a nine and eight team and make the playoffs. And I think that's all you need to be in the NFC to make the playoffs. Just go nine and eight. And you're you're probably going to be in with that third wild card. So, I have the San Diego Chargers and Denver Broncos in the AFC making the playoffs. Teams that missed it last year, probably no surprise there. And in the NFC, it was a little bit harder because I do think there's that clear line at the top, and then there's just everybody else. But the Minnesota Vikings and Detroit Lions as two NF, new NFC playoff teams coming up here in 2022. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks once again to John McMullen for joining me here on the podcast. Folks, don't forget to check out everything we've got going on over at BleedingGreenNation.com, where we've got all of the latest news and rumors of your football team right there. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review over at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed on Apple Podcasts. Let me know what you think of Eye on the Enemy. Give us a five-star rating and tell us what you think about the show. Leave a rating for all the other shows we've got on there as well. We're on Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast, so tell your pals. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy.
0: B G N.